everybody has a story. Everybody's story is worthy of being told. Not everyone has been either given permission or invited to share their story. Most people find that they're not celebrated or that their story doesn't matter for whatever reason, be it someone else has told them they feel insecure, whatever it is, they feel that what they have to say is not important. And this podcast and my community that I'm building is all about sharing stories, providing space, celebrating women, giving them the permission and the space to be exactly who they are, tell their stories, the good, the bad, the hard, the easy, all of it. Because your story, your multiple stories, are what create the blueprint of who you are and who you are today from where you started. So many women I've asked along the way to share their story, to do a blog post interview, or to be a guest on the podcast, have said they don't have anything that they feel is important to share. They're nervous. They feel like they're lacking self-confidence, maybe. Any number of reasons there have been hesitancy. But once you get them started, once you provide them a safe space, and that's really what my goal has been with Titanium Blonde on both my blog as well as my interviews, is to create a space for them that is safe, to allow them to tell their story, to make sure that I tell them how important they are how important their story is and to celebrate that story and to celebrate them. So welcome to another episode of Titanium Blonde Talks. This particular episode will be all about the women, the most important women in my life that have given me all of the genetics the personality, all of those things, those pieces that make me who I am, the old stories that got passed down to me that I've had to work to unwind some of them, and the inspirations that at the time I didn't realize how important they were in my life. Thank you for joining me today for Titanium Blonde Talks. First off, I have come from a very long line of strong women on both sides of my family. And I was lucky enough as a kid to be raised in an environment where both sides of my family got together. I spent time with both of my grandmothers, albeit quite a bit more time with my father's mother, my paternal grandmother, than I did with my mom's mom. 
And it was, and looking back on it, I am so incredibly fortunate to have had that time to have been so curious and asked questions and been able to be around the wider circle of my extended family. My mom's mom was an incredibly beautiful woman, was raised in a home where there wasn't a lot of money. She was raised on a farm. And I can remember her telling me that the reason that they made it through the depression was that they had a farm and they lived off of what they had on their farm and what they didn't have, they traded for. So there was not a lot of money. When my mother came along, there was still not a lot of money. And my grandmother went through a divorce and moved back home with her parents when my mother was quite young. And she had polio in the 40s during the polio epidemic. And I can remember her saying that the doctors told her that she would never walk again. And to prove them wrong, my grandmother learned how to walk using crutches. And I'm not talking the kind that go underneath your armpits. I'm talking the kind that clip on your forearms. She used those crutches and her stomach muscles to swing her legs to walk. And as a kid, my grandmother didn't have a wheelchair until I was probably 13 years old. So she went a whole lot of years using those crutches and she remarried. She had another child. She took care of her home, kept things clean, did her laundry, cooked all of that all on her own. And I never heard her ever complain. Um, I do remember when she did get a wheelchair. And she still used the crutches more than the wheelchair. There were times what's in my head is seeing her either at the kitchen sink at my folks' house or at the kitchen sink at her house, standing there with her crutches off to the side and her legs bowing backward and, you know, cooking dinner. And as kids, I mean, we never grew up, I never grew up thinking of her as handicapped ever. And the wheelchair to us was, you know, a toy. a toy. We would, when she wasn't using it, sneak it outside and go pop wheelies in the driveway. Later on, her arms and her shoulders gave out and she was in a wheelchair more regularly. She got herself, went from just a regular wheelchair. And my grandfather, for many years, got a hold of old broken wheelchairs and repaired them so that those who couldn't afford a wheelchair could actually have a wheelchair in remembrance of the fact that there were many years that they just couldn't afford one for my grandmother. And eventually my grandmother ended up with one of those electric Amigo wheelchairs and she was not a very good driver, but she loved to get out. She loved to be around people and even sitting in a wheelchair, she still did her laundry cooked, cleaned. She did have a cleaning lady come in later in life to do the deep cleaning, but she took care of herself. And 
was pretty impressive. And she was just this incredible woman who had these old photos that we found of her with on the beach. And we'd say, you know, who's that? Because it wasn't somebody, it was a man, someone that we didn't know. And she, oh, that was just someone I met on the beach. And I think my grandma was quite a mover and a shaker, though she would probably never come out and admit it to anyone. But she really was this woman that I saw that had this incredible stamina, this ability to, her hair was always done. She was always dressed. She always had shoes. She bought new shoes. Even when she was no longer walking and wearing the shoes out, she still had to have shoes. So that's kind of in the gene pool. Everyone in my family loves shoes. And uh, it was just, she was, she was a, a very interesting woman. And she was, for the most part, even from her generation, fairly open-minded about a lot of things. And she was one of my confidants as I, you know, got older. And I know that she had a tough road. I know that my mother had a tough road. She spent a lot of years with, you know, upheaval and not a lot of money and being raised in a home for part of that without her mother while her mother was very sick with polio. And it's just been recently that my mother has talked about it a little bit more. And she was five when it all happened. And she said that at that point in time, nobody really knew what caused polio or how it was spread. So they put the whole house under quarantine and they weren't allowed to go anywhere. And at the time that they then finally allowed them to leave, my mother finally got to go and see her mother. And she went into what used to be the Shriners Hospital in Portland and walked in and she said all she could see for as far as she could see was rows upon rows on top of each other of rows of iron lungs of people stacked in these iron lungs. And I don't know for sure how long my grandmother was in the hospital. I know it was for quite some time. And she came out of the hospital and taught herself to walk and got herself a job. And like I said, she did get remarried again and had another child and went on to live a long life. So it's one of those things where you look at things like that and the background was British. Both of her parents were from Great Britain. And from what I understand, my great-grandmother was a bitch on wheels. And uh, I never met her personally. But um, there are probably some more stories that I don't know anything about. But um, I have a sneaking suspicion that there were some very interesting things that went on in that house. She had three sons as well as my grandmother. And 
for many years, until I was close to 15 years old, we lived on the same street that that family farm was on, that my aunts and uncles, a lot of them still lived on. So it was a very family-orientated childhood that I had. And my dad's mother lived not too far away in the same town. And when I was a year old, my dad's dad passed away. And my grandmother was in her late 40s. And she didn't know how to drive a car. She didn't know how to write a check. She didn't pay the bills. She took care of the house. She cooked and she raised the kids. And my grandfather did everything else. And he was German. My grandmother was Danish. And that's just the way it was. And they didn't have a lot of money. And it's just interesting to look back on the life with my grandmother. We, she was alone until I was I think 13 or 14 when she finally remarried. But she then went on every family vacation with us. We had Sunday dinners at her house. We would go over and help with her house. My dad was there to take care of anything that needed fixing or taken care of. And I spent a lot of time. I was her only granddaughter. And I spent a lot of time with her. And we would have spendovers and, and do things together. She taught me how to cook. She taught me how to sew. She made my first wedding dress out of several patterns that I picked out and the pearl buttons off, to, off of my mother's wedding dress. And she was just this... She knew how to can. She, it was just, there was a lot of things that I learned from her about how to take care of yourself and how to make a life. And she was incredibly elegant. Even with no money, she had an incredible elegance to her. She was tall for her generation. And my dad taught her how to drive, helped her get a bank account. She went out and got a job and worked until she retired. And she loved her family. She loved her grandkids. She was very in touch with her Danish heritage. Both of her parents, my great grandfather emigrated through Ellis Island from Denmark. The little town that she was born in is no longer there in Minnesota, and she was one of 13 children. And I can remember her telling me stories about the old gas lamps that they used to sit around the table and, you know, that there was farming and all of that. And it's that's, you know, I look at all of those things and some of those stories I don't remember as well from when I was young, but just the amount of perseverance, the amount of just figuring out what she needed to do in order to be able to 
survive and and take care of us and not just survive i mean she was an incredibly happy pragmatic woman when she passed away she was just shy of her i think 92nd birthday and she had some serious health issues and when they mentioned that they might have to amputate her leg, she told the doctor that she wouldn't do that, that she had lived a very full life and that she had made her peace. And if it was her time to go, then it was her time to go. And I'll never forget, we I went with my brothers, my two brothers and my dad to go and see her. And I that was on a Sunday and she passed away on a Tuesday. And I think she was just waiting for us to get there. And she looked good. She was happy. She was happy to see us. And she just finally just was tired and went to sleep and didn't wake up. But this woman taught me a lot of things about creativity, about making do with what you have about reusing repurposing the sewing piece was was big and the cooking piece i mean she taught me all about how to cook and how to clean up as you go when you cook and just to have i mean all of these great old recipes and things and she had great friendships and played bunko and cards and just was very, very active throughout her life and survived two husbands. Both of my grandparents survived um, their husbands, both of my grandmothers, I should say. And I just remember from the youngest age, she had jewelry she had a box a drawer full of jewelry um at the time that i started playing with it it was you know plastic and whatever else it was it was costume jewelry and i would always pull it all out and rearrange it in the drawer and put it all together and she wore scarves and pins and she was very very fashion conscious without spending a lot of money because she didn't have it but it was a lot around accessories and i think that was where my love of jewelry came it's it's definitely what influenced me to later learn how to make my own jewelry and explore into working with precious and semi-precious stones and sterling silver and fine silver and it's it's just always been that tactile sense for me. And that all came from my grandmother, whether it was fabric or whether it was jewelry, whether it was cooking, that was you know, all a part of it. And she lived on this little house on the corner across from a little like Jiffy Mart kind of a store. And I can remember being a little kid and she would give us a dime and we would go across the street and come back with like a bag full of penny candy. Not that you can still do that anymore, but it's one of those childhood memories. And I just will, she was always there, always. Never judgmental.
my touchstone, really. And then I have my mother, who is this force who overcame a lot in her life. And has a lot of things that formed her at a very young age. And it took me a long time to understand that. And understand sometimes why she says and what she does is a result of, of those things. But she worked before she had me. And after she had kids, she was a stay-at-home mom. But we did all sorts of things. My mother, we did Meals on Wheels. We were involved with organizations in the community that supported children that were all around providing for kids that didn't have things, providing for elderly folks that didn't have food. She would take us kids when she went to do the Meals on Wheels delivery, and we spent time with the people everywhere we went. And my parents didn't have a lot of money, but that's what you did. That was my mother's, that, that's what you did. You took care of other people and you took care of people in your community. And when they belonged to this service organization for many years, every year there was a haunted house and my mother would come up with some of these amazing costumes and ideas for what to do in the haunted houses every year. And it was like, you know, sort of her, one of her things that she was known for. She came up with some pretty incredible things. And she was also a female firefighter. And this was back in the 70s. And for our particular community, all of the firefighters were volunteers and they all had jobs during the day. So the fire department put out a call for some women to potentially come and help out during the day when there were calls. So my mother was one of, I believe, three women, and they were the only female volunteer firefighters in the state of Oregon. And because my mother was tall and athletic, she got to hold on to the front of the hose. And I can remember her talking a couple of times about the thing actually picking her right up off the ground. I don't remember how many times she ever went out on a call or not, but um, you know, those, those were things that she did in the community. It was a smaller community. It was what you did. That was how she was raised. Those were things that were important to her. And we, like I said, we didn't have a lot of money but she did have her time to give. And she was a lot of what brought all of those pieces of the family together for holidays. And it, 
you know, it, it's something that I'll never forget that even now our family is still like that. My brothers live close. I live close. My daughter still is close. My granddaughter is close. We all get together for holidays and birthdays. And I didn't realize how unusual that was until I've had a few people make comments about that. And that's all my mother. I mean, she, she pulls all of that together and that's very important to her to have her family together and to be able to do those things and to be able to carry on those traditions that she was raised with, that she raised us with. And now we've got the next generation and then the next generation after that. And so I look at things like that and I know that there was probably things that my mother wanted to do that she didn't get to do. I, she has mentioned more than once that she missed out on the free love of the sixties because she was busy being married and raising babies. And I, I never, I don't think that she ever felt like she really missed out on anything. She just had a very different life. And she was the one who started me in ballet when I was four. Instead of sending me to kindergarten, I went to ballet because I already knew how to read. And she really wanted me to move. And ballet ended up being this thing that I loved for many years. I took from the same studio from the time I was four until I was 15. And we did a full-on ballet recital every year under the lights with costumes, every single class. My mother was a stage mother. I mean, it was just one of those things that we did every year. And I did that for nine years of my life. And my mom was there for me for that. I played softball. So there were times when I would go to a ballet class and my mom would come and pick me up and we would go to a softball game. And I can remember my ballet teacher saying, you're going to break your arm or break your leg, but I like to do it all. And I believed that the ballet made me actually better in my sports, both softball and volleyball. My dad played softball, um, both slow pitch and fast pitch. And I wanted to be a first baseman, just like my dad, even though I was a righty and he was a lefty. So it was just this, even though there wasn't always a lot of money there, we did get to do the things and it wasn't ever forceful or pressure or that we had to do something every single day. I mean, she offered music lessons. My brothers took music lessons. I took piano for a while, but never really loved it. And I sang in the choir for a while. And it was always around, you know, giving us opportunities to do things. We were never raised in a home where there was any talk of discrimination, about racism, about anybody being less than or more than someone else. And neither one of my parents had a college degree. And my mother was married young at 18. My dad was three years older than she was. And I will never forget, as I was trying to decide what to do as I was getting ready to graduate from high school and my dad telling me, 
I want you to get a college education. I don't want you to have to rely on a man to take care of you. And this is a man who was very traditional in how he was brought up. My grandfather was, you know, very iron-fisted German, and there was men's jobs, and there was women's jobs, and all of that, and, and my dad lived that as well. But after going through what he did with my grandmother, it was very important to him that I have a college education, that I have the tools that I needed to be able to take care of myself so that I didn't have to rely on a man. And that has, you know, always been something that has stuck with me. And my parents supported me in making sure that I did get that college education. And it's it's been one of the things that has really stuck in my head of, you know, neither one of them had that, but all three of their children got a college degree. It was that important to them that all of their kids get a college education. And, you know, my mom, she mowed the lawn and took care of the house and took care of the kids and the grocery shopping and did all of the other stuff too. And she did eventually go back to work when I was about 13. And I babysat my brothers during the summer when they weren't in school. But she was at pretty much almost every ball game, every ballet recital. My, my folks were there, especially my mother. And she made all of that happen. That was my mom who made sure that all of that happened. And it's, I look at the women in my life and they are the amalgamation, the collection of the time in history, of their circumstances in their family, of what society had to say about women, what was okay, what wasn't okay, all of those things. And even though they had very traditional thoughts on a lot of things, they really were trailblazers in their own ways. And all of those things sort of got genetically passed on to me and I ended up being this mouthy blonde broad who doesn't really want anyone to tell her what to do, who certainly stands up for not only myself, but for others. And that you take care of your people, you help out your community if you can, and that you do what you need to do to be able to take care of yourself, to be able to take care of your family. And I have a daughter who's incredibly intelligent. She's given me this gift of not only herself, but my granddaughter now. And my daughter does amazing work. She is a 
drug court therapists working to try to keep people who have addiction issues and problems out of jail and helping them to try and put their lives together so that they can stay out of jail and function in society. And she's good at what she does. And she's done some incredibly interesting and very hard jobs working in public mental health in a lot of different areas, also working in a jail in King County. And I watched her go from this happy, intelligent, driven young woman to a shadow of herself and she realized that she couldn't stay in the jail anymore. So when she realized she couldn't affect change from inside the jail, she decided to go in a different direction and try and just keep people out of jail because she knows just how destructive it is for everyone involved in the jail system. And then she's another one who will stand up for herself, will not take shit from anybody. She's a little more elegant about it sometimes than I am. And now we've got this little almost two-year-old granddaughter who's a firecracker. And I think this girl is going to give everybody a run for their money. And that just makes my heart smile so big because we're going to need someone like her to be able to continue to step forward, stand tall, and speak her truth. So that's just sort of the story of the women in my immediate family that have shaped and formed me. Some of them I have picked up traits from, others of them, their traits have driven me in different directions. And I have spent so many years working in male-dominated industries. I worked in the tech industry back in the 80s before there were very many women working in tech. And so I was working in bro-tech before anybody called it bro-tech and anybody knew what it was. And I've always been able to stand up, speak up, speak up for others. And it's gotten me a lot of re responses, some of them good, some, a lot of them bad. I've been called a bitch, a ball buster, a feminazi, a feminist, which, you know, that's whatever. But the reality is, is that I do not believe that just because of my sex, I am less than a man. Nor will I stand by and watch someone denigrate or put down or treat a woman, especially anyone, but especially a woman, as less than. So I'm a bossy blonde. I speak my mind. I get angry. And as women, we're not supposed to get angry. I get angry and I push back. 
And some people don't like that. And that's unfortunate because I refuse to make myself smaller. I refuse to dumb myself down. I refuse to hide or not speak up when I believe that something is wrong. And people don't like that, especially men, especially men in power. And most men had to learn the hard way that they couldn't control me by fear or anything else. And granted, I made some slip-ups. I did some things. I went along with things that I probably shouldn't have. But I took the path of least resistance at the time. Sometimes because I was young and not smart enough to realize that I had more power than I realized. But at this particular point in time in my life, and especially at this particular point in time in society and in our world, it is more important now than ever that women speak their truth, that women stand together, that women support each other. It doesn't mean that we have to agree on everything, but it does mean that we don't denigrate each other, that we don't sacrifice each other on the altar of male, white male power and the power dynamic that goes with us, goes with it. I have a lot of different friends and they all believe a lot of different things, most of them different than me. It doesn't mean that I can't be friends with them. I can't respect them. I can't love them. I can't enjoy them. It does mean that I expect them not to try and make me believe what they believe. I expect to be retreat, to be treated with the respect that I give to them. And I expect them to tell me if I say or do something that hurts their feelings. Because that's never been me. I've never personally ever tried to purposely hurt someone. But I am passionate. I am very strong-willed. And I do speak my mind. And that makes people uncomfortable. And I refuse, especially at this point in time in my life, to apologize for that. So this is just a little background into kind of how I ended up where I am in my life, where I sort of came from, and why this whole project, this passion project of mine about bringing women together, about giving them room to voice their truth to share their stories, to be who they are, is so incredibly important to me. And almost to a woman who I've asked to participate, whether it be in a blog post interview or a podcast interview, has told me thank you and that they're honored to be a part of it. And it is my honor. This is my honor to be able to 
offer this space to be able to bring people forward, to be able to have a conversation while we talk about our stories, while we talk about who we are, why we are, because sharing stories is what helps us find that connection. We can be disparate. We can have different income levels, different jobs, different family situations, different religions, different beliefs of all levels. But when we talk about our stories, that's what brings those threads back in where we realize that we are not that different from each other. And if we can do it with open-mindedness, and an open heart and a belief that even though we don't always agree that we can still treat each other with respect, that as women, we can support each other. We don't need a man in order to do that. While I love men and I love having the support of men, I think that we've relied for too long on that to happen and that it's created too much of a distance between women and that we need to come together. And the only way to do that is to open minds. If you can't come at something with an open mind enough to actually hear what someone has to say, not because you're thinking about something that you want to respond or tell them why they're wrong or whatever it is, but to actually hear what they have to say. It doesn't mean you have to agree, but it does mean you do have to hear it. I invite you to join me on this journey. I'm just getting started with all of this. I have several interviews that I am so excited about that are already completed getting ready to get all of those edited and get them posted. I have several more interviews coming up and I'm always interested in finding more people to talk to. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what it is that you do. I want to hear your story. You're welcome at the table. There's room for you here and your story is important. Please join me for the next episode of Titanium Blonde Talks coming up soon. Thank you for joining me.